This week on the Backtable Podcast. People want to have devices that make it easier to remove cloud. That's one of the reasons why I've been promoting this large bore technique because it makes the case more efficient. Rather than spending two, three hours in there too, or even saying bailing out and saying, forget it, let's just do open. Okay. I, I you know, a lot of these cases, even some of these R2B cases that uh, typically, historically speaking, were surgical only, can be addressed with endovascular techniques in an efficient manner. And, you know, if you have got clot that goes from the aorta all the way down to the, uh, into the, to the calf, I mean, that's a multi-level open procedure. I mean, that's not benign. Not easy. And yeah. if you could do it with a single access or even a, just two, two spots with, uh, you know, percutaneous closure, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, that, I think that reduces the morbidity of these patients. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things endovascular and more. You can find all previous episodes on any platform or our website, backtable.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and keep up with the latest updates and give us feedback through comments. Boston Scientific's Alluvia drug-eluting peripheral stent is a purpose-built stent platform with a polymer specifically designed to treat SFA disease. In two head-to-head trials, Olivia demonstrated superior clinical outcomes compared to other therapies and is setting a new standard of care in SFA stenting. To learn more about how Olivia can help you take the fight to PAD, visit bostonscientific.com slash Olivia. That's E-L-U-V-I-A from Boston Scientific. I'm Sabine Dond as your host today, and I'd love to welcome Dr. Jay Matthews, interventional cardiologist from Bradenton, Florida. Welcome, Jay. Thanks a lot, Sabine. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming here. I mean, this is actually your first time on our show, and we're going to be talking about these new techniques of using large bore thrombectomy, not on the venous side, but on the arterial side, which is pretty darn neat and really pushing the innovation. But before we go into that, let's talk a little bit more about yourself, get our listeners to know you. Yeah, absolutely. I hail from the Northeast. I, I kind of grew up in uh, in Connecticut, Massachusetts area, and uh, I went to engineering school at our Rensselaer Polytech. Um, I've always been a techie kind of guy and, uh, you know, worked in the startup space, the software world, and then eventually went to medical school and continued to do a lot of engineering consulting all throughout uh, medical school hmm. and residency and whatnot, too. And So you started off before medical school, you did software. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer at heart and a designer yeah. and you know, I spent a lot of time in the human factor space trying to uh, help companies uh, understand how folks interact with technology. And, uh, you know, so I did a lot of stuff with interface design and things like that, too. And this kind of just naturally married into the endovascular space eventually yeah. for myself because, you know, everyone focuses on the technology side of things, but rarely do they focus on how do physicians actually interact with technology. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's awesome. I, I love that because I always tell myself, I, I am techie too, and I never like, put it on paper and actually did that whole at what you have done. So I give you mad respect for doing all that and you're continuing to do that. So I just like techie stuff at home, I guess. <laughs> it's really cool. And how long have you been now working? Uh, have you always been working in Florida? No. So, so I was at WashU for training and fellowship. I did, you know, almost six years of fellowship out uh-huh. there as well too, my, my, uh, my residency training as well. So I was, I was in St. Louis for about a decade and then I came to Florida. I've been in Florida for over a decade now. Yeah. And how's your practice? Are you more, if you look yourself online, there's structural or are you mm-hmm. mainly structural? Are you doing other, or how's your practice broken down? 
Yeah, I mean, I, so obviously, I, I have to remind myself every now and again that I'm actually an interventional cardiologist, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I think people who follow me online might be confused as to exactly what do I do because I seem to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, uh, but Master. yeah, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a technology focused guy, so I, I love these disease states and how can we do better with the with the te- uh-huh. with the, these technologies and so and whatnot too. So I'm probably about sixty to seventy percent endovascular, and that remaining thirty percent or so too is a mix between structural and complex coronary interventions as well too. So I still do work in the heart as well too, even though I spend a lot of time outside of it. That's great. That's great. Well, you know, based on your socials, based on your Twitter, you're doing awesome things. I believe you are the one who coined the term lasered cat. Is that correct? <laughs> well, you know, uh, my, my brother Kumar um, <laughs> uh and I, we might have some uh, some choice words to each other as to who, who came up with it first, but maybe it was That's a mutual I thing. I, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, and I think even Tim Yates might have even had a hand in it at one point <laughs> as well, too. So we, we've all kind of, uh, we're not sure who can claim credit per, per se, but. Laser cat is definitely something that we came up with. For those of you that don't know what that is, I mean, it's the concept that a lot of these patients who present with, you know, even chronic occlusions uh, within vessels can have hibernating thrombus or soft atheroma that if you blast your way through that too with atherectomy up front, you're going to end up with trash foot or trash mm-hmm. arm or whatever Absolutely. it could be. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, if you have easy wire crossing, you can go in there too up front with thrombectomy, clear out that soft core. And then have at it, in, in this particular example, would be laser atherectomy. It really should be cat laser rather right? than laser cat. But a little, the idea was misdirecting. Using, a little, yeah, but, I know. But yeah. laser cat has a lot more cachet than, uh, <laughs> than the cat laser, you know? <laughs> when I did it my first time, I, had a, I actually had to call Kumar. I'm like, wait, so do you do the thrombectomy part first or do you do the laser part, you know? But uh, it, it's, it's worked great. You know, yeah, you guys have that, that technique is is solid. <laughs> oh, the, but the GIFs, the laser catch GIFs are great. So that's, you know, that's, that's uh, the one that's why that we, we have you know, to do that. Exactly. We will, we will definitely post a laser cat Kumar photo <laughs> for this. You know. So now laser cat, we'll, we'll move on from that because actually laser cat, when I've done it, I've used a cat eight, um, <laughs> or a cat six. So large bore, what, what do you define as large bore? Is that greater than eight French? Yeah, it really is. I mean, technically, there are a lot of people out there too. It's actually interesting because I, I do a lot of work with many different thrombectomy companies and a lot mm-hmm. of, in fact, I was just in California meeting with some new companies as well too, with new technologies. Everybody's trying to, trying to figure out how to do this just slightly differently. Mm-hmm. But the reality is there does seem to be a lot of reticence in the community when it comes to anything above seven French. So, you know, yeah. technically eight French is considered large bore, mm-hmm. but you know, true, we're, true. we're, you know, we're also, especially in the Venus space looking at you know, 12 French, for example, with the Indigo Cat 12, uh, uh, but even potentially 16, 20 French, even 24 French, if you look at the Inari Flow Retriever system. But really, they've largely not had arterial applications because people have thought that the size was prohibitive. But, you know, mm-hmm. what's interesting is that, and this is one thing I think the cardiologists can lay claim to, is that uh, the concept of pre-closure when it came to doing uh, uh, TAVA mm-hmm. work and and even actually some of the, you know, some of, uh, you know, our IR surgical colleagues do, you know, or, you know, even our ICs that do EVAR, TVAR work yeah. too, have done a lot of a large bore closure using proglides or prostyles, uh, in a, in an orthogonal position. You can even get away with a single, uh, proclosure, te- uh, uh, technique and, uh, even, you know, closing up to 14 French or more with a single proclose is, is very viable. So we shouldn't be scared of large bore. Uh, when it's appropriate, right? So the idea and the concept behind large bore thrombectomy is that there is just some clot that is so organized and so difficult 
that uh, just the smaller devices just struggle with them too. Mm -hmm. And there may be new technologies coming down the pipe that will mitigate some of the organization of that clot that could potentially allow you to get away with smaller form factors. But in the current era too, you know, I've been a, a big advocate for it. Um, and there are yeah. more people doing this now where they're going eight French and above for arterial thrombectomy when appropriate. And when you have massive clot or overwhelming clot, uh, just extremely organized clot that just will not come through uh, small bore thrombectomy systems. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, bigger is better, right? I mean, that's- Yeah, I, uh, I've always <laughs> said that. I have a slide right? that literally says bigger is better. <laughs> I mean, the, the, you know, the aspiration force, uh, if you have an aspiration-based system, is yeah. an order of magnitude more powerful, both, uh, you know, when you increase the orifice area and also you shorten yeah. the length R of the squared, catheter. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know? So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It, it, go big. Uh, go as big as go you possibly big, can. You know, and I agree. <laughs> I mean, um, I would say in training where I did not do aorta work in my training, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I would probably put in the artery was seven French. And when I started doing aorta work in practice, like it was mind blowing that I could throw this 20 French delivery system or sheath right. into the artery and you would close it with pre-close and it's like amazing, you know? Exactly. So it's that one, you just have to realize that don't be scared of putting something 10, 12, 16 French in the artery. If you need to do that, that's NBD, no big deal, right? Exactly. Let's talk a little bit like what, what kind of, are we talking about infrainguinal? Uh, thrombosis like SFA pop are you are you going to a cat 7 or another device are you going straight up above that size and, and or, or are we talking about right. iliacs and aorta no i mean obviously iliacs and aorta make the most sense when it comes to uh large bore thrombectomy but the real you know so i do a lot of uh, a lightning 12 and uh that's uh you know penumbra system too and the reason why i like using that system is because the tip of the catheter is very atraumatic it's very mm -hmm. torqueable, you know, laser cut hypotube allows you to actually navigate into a lot of nifty spaces and you could go up and over with the system really easily. Yeah. So, you know, I quickly discovered that you could take this device and take it down into the SFA, take it to the pop. I've even taken it into the tibial vessels because you wow. recognize that the outer diameter of the catheter is really a little over four millimeters. So, really? you know, there really? are some, uh, you know, patients that have very large uh, tibials where you can actually uh, cork thrombus and actually extract it out. Now, certainly it's not necessarily your upfront approach, but increasingly I've actually, you know, just gone up with that device. And we've seen this a lot, especially in the COVID thrombosis cases where we uh -huh. know that the morphology of that clot is it's just different. so much more organized. It's different. I mean, you can jump rope with this stuff. I mean, it's really, really super organized and uh, it, it just really overwhelms a lot of these other systems that are out there too. But, you know, what, you know when you were asking the questions, like, what do you do first? For example, you know, I might get access with a seven French type okay. system and then go in and try with, uh, with say like a lightning seven or something mm -hmm. like that first yeah. and see what happens. But if I see that this is just overwhelming thrombus and I'm not going to make any headway with this too, then I'll you just, I, I'll post close in that scenario because you can easily yeah, do so that. that, that I was just going to ask yeah. you that. I mean, do you go in and you pre-close on your no, initial no. access or? Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, I always get ultrasound guided access thinking yeah. that I might yeah. need to do something like this anyway. Uh -huh. I think it's a good technique, but you know, ideally identify a spot where you feel closure is going to be good no matter what you end up doing. So post-close, what, what's post-close? What, what, you so, know, you know, just... yeah, pre-close obviously is, you know, you're going to go up front and, uh, and first place your ProGlider Pro Style and then, then go ahead and put in your, your, your sheath. 
post closes where let's say for example you have a six or seven french sheath in place mm -hmm. uh then you just simply you know you put up your 035 wire pull the sheath out you're holding pressure and you go in with the the pro style yep. or pro glide and, and go ahead and deploy at least a single at or double one. per close yeah i mean yeah, and, basically it, just do it that time yeah yeah it, exactly it it's fine. really easy to do and you know the the foot plate of the uh of the uh, uh pro glider pro style is, is more than adequate to to handle a six seven french hole even an eight french hole yeah it's pretty big i mean it's important for our listeners to know that you don't burn your bridge by putting a seven french sheath in and then now you're like oh how do i up to 12 and now i don't know how to close like so you don't burn your bridge with not right. doing it first. Some people think that, right? You know, it's interesting. Like, you know, people have done this with, uh, for example, uh, you know, impellas and whatnot too, that they had, yeah. you know, they put it in emer emergently and they mm -hmm. didn't think to, to pre-close before they put the impella in. And now what do they, what do they do? So there's a whole, you know, uh, dry closure technique and post-closure technique yeah. for that too, where yeah. essentially you put two wires in, you could put uh -huh. two, yeah. seven or eight French sheaths in that same hole and you'll still be able to close it without a problem. And you can do one at a time, leaving your wire in place. That way you don't worry about losing wire access. So I think that that's, that's a good technique. And, uh, you know, these, uh, these arters are resilient. They tend to snap back down for the most part and you can close these things without too much difficulty. Yeah. Now, so you, you know, the Lightning 12, we've talked about that you have taken it up and over. I mean, I've used, as far as my personal experience, I've done one large bore arterial thrown back to me, but it was just iliac, ipsilateral, yeah. and it worked great, right? But you said you have no problem taking this 12 French catheter up and over mm -hmm. and, and using it, I mean, all the way to the tibial, tibial perineal trunk. Yeah. Now, are there other devices you're using as well? Is 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 there um, other large bore thrown back to me, uh, or what's your kind of uh, algorithm of, of of escalating? In in the current environment, when it comes to large bore, it's been largely the Lightning system. Now, there yeah. are a number of other devices that are on the horizon too that may have a role in this space too for ultra organized thrombus. I mean, you know, Rotorex is one interesting technology yep. as well too. Yep. But still, you know, the current device is still fairly small, but you know, the concept uh, that, you know, you could potentially kind of do thromboatherectomy is actually very interesting mm -hmm. for very organized clots. So that could be an interesting uh, technology that may have a role in this space as well too. The recent acquisition by Boston Scientific was, uh, was the Wolf technology from Devoro. Uh, yes. And this involves uh, mechanical extraction. And so there is a large bore version of that coming as well, too, even up to 18 French. So while that is going to be used more on the Venus side as well, too, yeah. but they have smaller versions. Yeah, 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 yeah the, the 14 French one could potentially have applications arterially as well. And the idea is you would actually literally grab the clot, ingest mm -hmm. it, and then extract yeah. it out of the body. So that presents a lot of uh, interesting ideas. But, you know, right now, what do we have available? I mean, Lightning 12 is a really great option. Atraumatic, trackable, you can use it without a wire. I'll do it typically with a 12 or 14 French dry seal up and over uh, the uh, iliac okay. uh, bifurcation and then take it down just over a glide wire or vantage wire. I mean, those, you know, those so are that pretty lip, off the shelf. That lip yeah. of, the, of the catheter between an 035, 038 wire and the 12, it doesn't get caught. It doesn't, doesn't mess. No. It doesn't, you know, you know, no. what if you have some plaque there? Do you have problems? Like, I mean, not uh, typically. No. And because the tip of the catheter is very atraumatic and it's also angled, right? So typically I use the yeah. H torque curve, which has got a two bends on it. So primary okay. and secondary bend, you know, you've got these wings on the back end of the catheter itself too. And you have this long laser cut hypo tube, which allows for good torque transfer. So you simply just rotate the catheter around. You can rotate it over 180 degree bifurcation. 
without uh, having too much difficulty and you're going to get that, uh, that uh, one-to-one torque, which uh-huh. makes a big difference. I think if you're trying to navigate around, I mean, I, I recall yeah. a case where, you know, I had a, thr- you know, both legs, both limbs are thrombos all the way down. It was all, uh, uh, embolic, uh, yeast mm-hmm. actually. So it was yeast and, yeah. uh, endocarditis that I went down yeast. to the legs. Yeah. So Jeez. hard as a rock, really, this stuff is just, you know, this, this, the stuff that came exactly. out was just, it's not like typical thrombus. But, you know, you're able to rotate that catheter around without using a wire to get into the, the, into the hypo and then back down the external, then all the way into the profunda and the SFA, all the way down to the tibial. So again, that was all done without a wire. And, uh, and I think the key is if you got PAD, you know, of course that makes it a little bit more challenging. And what I would encourage people to do in that kind of scenario, if you do worry about the lip of the catheter itself to interacting with plaque is that you may have to do a telescoping technique and you can simply insert a balloon through the Mm -hmm. lumen of the catheter. And then just kind of uh, Perfect, do balloon-assisted yeah. tracking. Yeah, yeah. Just daughter it through. Kind yeah, of, uh, absolutely. That's great. Um, and I mean, again, I think it's it's a hard concept to swallow, but it it's atraumatic. That I mean, you can push that twelve French. You know, in veins we do. You know, we we push things, and you know, but arteries we get a little bit you know timid. Yeah. But this thing is atraumatic, and you're you're pushing it without a yeah. wire sometimes. So that's right. awesome. Absolutely. I mean, the reality is this, if you have significant PAD, most likely the thrombus that's occlusive is going to end up anchoring itself right at that location yep. anyway. Yeah, so most of the time out. you don't really have to go through that to get yep. the rest of the clot that's there. But if you do, then, you know, you can certainly treat that and then proceed on downstream from there and then address, you know, things as needed afterwards on the way out. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. And then, yeah, I mean, is there a role for even, I mean, you mentioned 14 French of the Wolf system. Is there a role for bigger? I mean, you'd think 12 French, is 12 a good number pretty much to take care of anything renals and below um, yeah, in the arterial I, bin? I think so. Um, you know, obviously these companies will continue to come out with bigger devices. And so it yeah. remains to be seen, right? So, yeah. you know, there is probably a point of diminishing returns where you sometimes will get almost so big that then does it become cumbersome to navigate these devices? So it's a balancing act, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's also polymer science and materials engineering. When you get these big giant devices in place, they lose their flexibility and some of the yep. features that you yeah. like. So there is Physics. a sweet spot there, right? So the 12 is a very soft, atraumatic, flexible catheter. It remains to be seen whether or not larger catheters will continue to perform like that too. I mean, it becomes very expensive and technologically intensive to like really have yeah. an ultra trackable, flexible, you know, catheter right. that does everything that you want it to do in a large form factor. Right. So yeah. we'll see. I and mean, then that, just put that, a neuro <laughs> tag on it and then, and then exactly, it's like 10 right? times more. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Question for you. So let, let, let's go on technique a little bit. Yeah. Are you putting the catheter, whether it's large or normal, you know, seven, eight French, are you taking it to the face of the clot and then just aspirating and then sitting there? Are you yep. pushing while it's aspirating? You know, we have, we have a lot of different techniques. We use a neuro. Right. And uh, what is your technique? And then I want to know some adjunctive techniques too. Yeah, so absolutely. So the adapt technique that you were describing, um, you know, was largely adapted for into the extract technique from the prism registry and whatnot too. So yeah. You know, uh, uh, Jim Beninati uh, talks about this quite a bit too. You know, so she's what they developed. You know, the idea that you come onto the uh, the face of the thrombus, sit on it for ninety seconds, uh, and then allow that clot to digest into the catheter. And doing so allows you to really get good purchase, especially with a large bore system. I mean, the thing about it is, is that you know, with the larger systems, especially with more mobile thrombus, it 
uh -huh. obliterates the clot. So Just it's not it. like, yeah, I, I mean, most of the, the, the stuff that you would, you know, spend a lot of time taking several passes at with yeah. a smaller system with something like a 12 French system, you're going to just obliterate that thrombus. And the only stuff that you're going to have to spend a little time on is the stuff that's so organized that it's not going to really come through any of the other systems. So that type of thrombus, uh, you know, I, I have a, another example I can think of was mm -hmm. a patient who presented with a blast crisis and essentially embolized all of this cancer material down his legs. It was a, the clot that was formed, which was when we sent it off to path, it was all blast, was indistinguishable from tendon or bone i mean it was Holy so Christ. so is that dense, that, that hard wow so you can't you can't suck that out with no. the eight french system and you know it plugged up the cat 12 and even the dry seal sheath i mean the dry shield yeah. was it corked a, it in there yeah mm -hmm. corked in the dry cell and i had to aspirate out the dry cell on the way out to and the, you know that type of stuff you know when you look at it, it looked like i'd done an endarterectomy yeah. Like, so uh, is this artery? Or yeah, is this... Well, right, exactly. I've had people look at this and ask, what, what was this? And yeah. uh, so, you know, that type of stuff, I mean, I think the uh, uh, extract technique is really good for corking out discrete type thrombus. Now, if you have overwhelming clot, uh, that's when we use, um, you know, separators and whatnot too. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, um, I was going to ask about that. Do you use, separator. Yeah. Do you you know, use I used it? To, yeah, I, I used to not use it because I was a I, I believed in the extract exclusively for many years. And yeah. then I discovered that it was like, why am I spending all this time struggling? Especially when you use a smaller system. I think the separator is really key to break this thrombus down into smaller, more manageable chunks without corking or clogging off the system. So you don't, you know, the corking technique is good, but the problem is you have to go in and out multiple times. And sometimes mm -hmm. that gets to be cumbersome. Yeah. So utilizing the separator, especially when you have more organized uh, clot is a good idea. Um, now there are other devices out there too. People have utilized, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, stent retriever type technologies mm -hmm. in conjunction yep. with, uh, with these types of catheters with variable degrees of success. The problem with some of those devices is that they're so soft, uh, and they're designed to be used in the brain. Yep, largely they end up collapsing down or not really doing as much, I think in the, uh, lower extremities, but People have done endofogarty. Uh, you know, they've taken a balloon and essentially uh, inflated that Blow to back. low atmospheres and just kind of pulled back into the aspiration catheter. That's a very valid technique as well, too, and can be done through the lumen of the 12 French catheter, even the smaller ones as well, too. So I think those types of adjunctive tools and techniques can be useful. Uh, using certainly, a filter? Ever used yeah, a filter? Yeah, I've used yeah. a filter uh, um, several times, in fact. And I think there are a number of devices coming down the pipe that will utilize a filter like. Uh, stent tree yeah. okay. uh, technology with aspiration. Uh, the only drawback with using a filter I've, I've encountered, I've, I had this in a couple upper extremity cases too, uh, was uh, that sometimes you overwhelm the filter and the filter spills over and then you end up sending stuff downstream. So yeah. that's where I think coupling it with aspiration is really key to make sure that whatever you have in that basket doesn't spread out. But you do risk squeegeeing that clot out of the basket and going yeah. downstream and then you're going to chase after that clot yeah does do you have any issues with the like if you do use the separator at the tail end of the clot at the distal end of the clot does it does it embolize or no like if you you're know, it, if you know, you're pushing aspirating that. it's less likely to do that but it is possible if you have a very organized thrombus to push that clot downstream mm -hmm. but i think that's why it's key to only utilize a separator while you're under aspiration rather yeah. than try to 
you know, some people use it to kind of almost guide their device down and, you know, they're kind of sailing on down with the separator leading in front of the catheter. I think yeah. that technique is a little bit problematic. I think you have to be careful totally. with that too. Um, you're pushing the, you're yeah, you're, it, it's got a, it's got a yeah. polymer jacketed bead on the end of it too. I mean, it's yeah. not, uh, it's not small by any means and that can push stuff downstream. I mean, it's not, it's not like taking your wire down, which should be able to hopefully glide its way around that clot or more organized yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, we are talking about all this thrown back to me. Is there a role for lysis? Are, are you doing lysis or yeah. are you have managed to avoid it? My life's goal is to find a way to eliminate thrombolytics entirely. <laughs> and I, I just go back to over a decade ago, you know, when I was doing this and this, that's all we were doing. We were just doing CDT on, on everything. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I remember patients having strokes, uh, you know, bleeding systemically and all these other types of things. And even when we reduced their thrombolytic burden, there's, it still wasn't always benign. Axis yeah. site bleeding, every, every patient, you knew that the TPA was working once they started getting a hematoma in their, in their groin. Yeah, so, totally. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the reality is, do I still use local lytics once in a while? Absolutely. Um, I use it very sparingly and selectively. But I've largely found that these techniques, especially even with the large bore techniques that I'm using, I've been able to really reduce the need for, for thrombolytics. And the only time I really use thrombolytics at this point is if I've got a situation, let's say, for example, in the lower extremity where I'm just still not happy with the, the distal uh, yep. microvasculature, there's so a lot of little plugging that. there too, in which case then I might do six or 12 hours of, of TPA um, just to kind of help address that residual clot burden downstream. Let me tell you that, I mean, even into the pedal loop, the, the arch itself, I'll take the uh, Cataract catheter down there too uh, without difficulty and aspirate a lot of that stuff out. It's really, we're talking the microvasculature where it yeah. just, there is a, a point where how long do you want to continue to prolong the procedure versus, you know, what you have to weigh the, the risks and the benefits. I mean, there are just some yeah. patients that can't get TPA and I think yeah. there are some that it's okay. Yeah. So, you know, someone who has, they present to you with SFA pop, tibial thrombosis um, in the acute setting. How long of a case is it uh, for you to perform that same day thrombectomy? Yeah. You know, there's an argument for lysis where you just drop in a lysis catheter and, yeah. and 10 minutes later, the patient's upstairs. Uh, but how long does the thrombectomy take? So let me answer that first question about the argument for the lysis, because there's, I still see a lot of people doing that mm -hmm. because it's the most expeditious thing to do, but it's not yep. necessarily the right thing to do yep. for the patient. And mm -hmm. why is that? Because that patient is still ischemic during the entire duration True. of therapy. So True. you're going to see a lot more ongoing ischemic uh, issues, normal dysfunction, and more reperfusion syndrome because they have delayed reperfusion. And then ultimately they end up, uh, you know, you see more compartment syndrome and fasciotomies being done in those kind of patients. Yeah. You know, at the very least, if you're going to end up using thrombolytics, establish some flow. So establish mm -hmm. a channel through there so that some blood is getting down to the lower extremities. And then, you know, honestly, the, the TPA will work even better in that kind of scenario. Rather than just having TPA dripping into a dead-ended vessel where there's it's not going anywhere, you know, that patient could require you know, one, two, even three days of lysis in order to get a good result. And I'm a big evangelist when it comes to telling people, you know, if you are a TPA type person, at least try to get some flow with some mm -hmm. device, whatever it may be, before you try to drop a lysis catheter. Now, with regards yeah. to doing thrombectomy, and this is where um, some of the smaller board technologies have actually been quite nice. I mean, for example, the Lightning 7, I use that both above and below the knee now. 
uh, in the same yep. setting without switching out devices. Like where you might've used before a cat eight and a cat six, mm-hmm. I yeah, just use the lightning best, seven in one setting. Worlds, yeah, right it's there. best of both yeah. worlds, right? So you've got a catheter that essentially has the aspiration force of almost an the eight French catheter in a form factor that's quite small and then is easily taken through the tibial vessels without, you know, without, you know, without a lot of difficulty. So that case takes me about an hour. I mean, I'm, my goal is to do these thrombectomy cases within an hour and, nice. uh, or less. That's great. I mean, yeah. I mean, some of these cases I'm doing in 15, 20 minutes and that's, 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 that's great. Right. And yeah. uh, that's a lot better Boom. than where <laughs> I was at when I first started doing this. Yeah. And, you know, the staff, the staff fatigue issues, you know, we've got a lot of cases going on. We have the pandemic going on. We really can't rely upon lysis because we don't have a place to put these patients who are needing thrombolytic infusion. They're totally. going to stay in our cath lab holding area. There's not an ICU bed for them to go to. So, yeah. you know, we want to try to get this done, but we can't also have a situation where the staff are just sitting around with these patients for hours, you know, trying to, 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 to manage them, you know, when we can do an on-table solution relatively quickly and get, get, get everybody home. Totally. Totally. No, that's great. Yeah. You made a good point about, you know, establishing flow to the foot and, and uh, you know, getting that there. And, and it's amazing that you can do some of these big cases, you know, in, in less than an hour. Um, and it's, it's a remarkable effort for the patient too. So is there anything that you can discuss about, you know, that's in the future for this? Anything, um, anything we can look forward to for thrombectomy arterial that you're allowed to discuss, um, <laughs> you know? There's a, there's a lot more that I'm not allowed to discuss than there is to, that <laughs> yeah. I can discuss. But, you know, we can talk about pie in the sky type stuff too, because that's, I yeah. spent a lot of time- sure. Uh, with companies who are early, you know, entering the space, we're even yep. kind of describing wish lists of what's out there as well, too. Um, you know, for what people want to do. So, I mean, I think some of the new avenues of research are looking at what makes clot clot really. Like, what what's acute clot, subacute clot, chronic thrombus? How do you differentiate between the types? You can't really tell by an angiogram. Yeah, and so could you potentially tell more about thrombus morphology and how to address it based off of uh, some type of technology. Could you use different types of fragmentation? I mean, is there, we know we've talked about maceration devices, extraction devices. Is there a way to fragment thrombus? There's a lot of different devices out there too that have been used historically like acoustic pulse therapy with ECOs Mm -hmm. and whatnot too. But could you deliver uh, ultrasonic energy in different ways? There's a few companies looking at those kind of applications, whether or not that even works in thrombus, it's kind of unclear. I I think that there are also companies looking at, you know, ways to utilize uh, nanoparticles as well too. So uh, this is, you know, kind of a fascinating uh, uh, space where utilizing nanoparticles with different types of either thrombolytics or other uh, non-biologic agents that would fragment thrombus as well too, uh, which, I mean, that to me is, seems so exciting. I mean, I would- Yeah, that's crazy. Know, I, I, it's, I it sounds <laughs> so science fiction that it's like, it's, yeah. like it's, it's, it's craziness, you know, magnetic nanoparticles. That's, a, that's Nanobots, one area. You know. uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> and you can imagine you could really pulverize thrombus that way too, potentially with external devices. I mean, I think that's, that's fascinating to me. So I think that- um, there's, there's a lot of stuff coming and I think, you know, there are plenty of um, big players that are still looking for solutions to add to their bag. I mean, honestly, the whole aspiration catheter thing has been done. And I think yeah. that, um, you know, everyone can have a me too type device out there, but mm-hmm. I think really creating differentiating technologies is what is going to separate totally. out, yeah. uh, you know, the technology moving forward. I mean, I think 
people want to have devices that make it easier to remove cloud. That's one of the reasons why I've been promoting this large bore technique because it makes the case more efficient rather than spending two, three hours in there too, or even saying, bailing out and saying, forget it, let's just do open. Okay. I, I you know, a lot of these cases, even some of these R2B cases that uh, typically, historically speaking, were surgical only can be addressed with endovascular techniques in an efficient manner. And, you know, if you have got clot that goes from the aorta all the way down to the, uh, into the, to the calf, I mean, that's a multi-level open procedure. I mean, that's not benign. Not easy. And yeah. if you could do it with a single access or even a, just two, two spots with, uh, you know, percutaneous closure, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, that, I think that reduces the morbidity of these patients. Yeah. It's awesome what you're doing. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm really glad to have you today. I mean, the, the stuff that you post online and all of this, you know, it's, it's, it's great, you know, and, and, and literally I just, I hope our listeners are more comfortable using these larger bore devices in the arteries and not just the veins. I think, uh, yeah. you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing, Jay. It was, it's, um, it's really nice to have you. I mean, any parting words of wisdom, uh, for, for our listeners? Yeah. A couple of things. One is just suck it. And number two, <laughs> go big or go home. Right. So <laughs> that's great. <laughs> no, it was, um, it was really awesome having you here, Jay. Uh, uh thank you so much. You know, we'll look forward to doing some more, more, uh, topics with you and, and, Literally, we can't wait to see what's on the horizon, all the cool yeah. stuff that you're coming out with. With your technology background, uh, it's, it's super exciting to see what's, what's, what's out there. I appreciate it, Sabine. Thanks so much for yeah. having me. It's been great. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, Brian Hartley. Our audio team lead is Karen Gannon, with support from Caleb Hodson and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz, with support from Zubi Syed, Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Anne Dang. And newsletter by Lauren Fang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.